0: And now it's my mission in life to help you get to the other side of this process with your sanity and your heart intact. Hey, 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 welcome back. How you doing? I really mean that. You know, when I ask you, How are you doing every week? I I actually invite you to drop in and really check in with yourself. How am I doing? How am I doing today? So many of us ask that, right? And of course I do when I say that, like, I know you're not going to answer me, (laughs) but so many of us sort of say that and, Hey, how you doing? But like, are we really invested in the answer that the other person gives us? I want you to be invested in yourself. I want you to be invested in the, in taking a moment and checking in with yourself. How am I doing today? For many of you, you're, I know that the time that you take to listen to this podcast is intentional. And so I also want you to be present with yourself when you're being present with me. That's just an invitation, not a mandate. (laughs) It's not, it's not a prerequisite, but it's an invitation. So today I have (laughs) this conversation blew my mind. Two weeks ago, we had Amanda Steinberg on the podcast. And I told you that I was going to be interviewing her partner, Jordan, who is also one of the smartest people that I know. Jordan is one of those people that when you start having a conversation with him, you're, you're for a minute, you have to like, take a deep breath and be like, okay, hold on, I have to, I have to, Like put on my brain's gym shorts right now, (laughs) if you know what I mean. Like my brain actually has to be present for this, like fully present for this conversation because his brain is so magnificent. So Jordan Shapiro is an author, an educator, and researcher. He's senior fellow for the Joan Ganz Cooney Center at Sesame Workshop and non-resident fellow at the Center for Universal Education at the Brookings Institution. You guys, I told you he was super smart. (laughs) He teaches in Temple University's intellectual heritage program, and he wrote The New Childhood, Raising Kids to Thrive in a Connected World, which received wide critical acclaim and has been published in 11 languages. His upcoming book, Father Figure, How to Be a Feminist Dad, offers a norm-shattering perspective on fatherhood, family, and gender essentialism. That's right. Gender essentialism. Y'all, I need everyone to buy this book. I need everyone to buy this book and give it to their husbands. Give it to all the men in your life. Give it to anyone who's a father or or thinking of becoming a father. I need you to send this podcast episode to every man in your life. If you're a man, buckle up. Jordan Shapiro is paving the way for the I know his his first his first book was the new childhood. He is paving the way for the new manhood. I'm not even kidding. He is that amazing. So, I'm going to stop talking about him and let you hear him. Here is my conversation with Jordan Shapiro. Jordan, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, and it's it's great to be. Up- Feminist dad. Yeah. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> Good start. Good start.
1: <laughs> yeah. I'm excited to be here, even though I'm still at my desk at home because it's COVID Zoom land. But
0: <laughs> exactly, right?
1: <laughs>
0: still here in the same place I've been for a year and a half, or, <laughs> or in my case, so many years. But yeah, totally. So you have this book coming out right now that everyone needs to order. It's called father figure. How to be a feminist dad? Is that how what it to is? be a
1: feminist dad? How yeah. to be a
0: feminist dad? I knew the feminist dad was in there. Which, hello, first of all, <laughs> like that's like in my world, Jordan. That's like that's like porn.
1: <laughs> is this
0: is this is your book porn?
1: <laughs> um, nope, no. <laughs> no, I don't
0: <laughs> just that title, it's like oh feminist dad. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, say it again. Um, so what is it, what does it mean? What does it mean? I love
1: that you, I love yeah. that you said it's porn. Cause I don't ever want to say it when I'm promoting it. Like, like, Hey man, read this book and, 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 and you'll have a lot more sex. Um, I don't want to say that, but it's kind of true. But y'all men, <laughs>
0: boys, like read this book and you'll, I'll say it. You'll probably have more sex.
1: Yeah, yeah, in in my experience moms and wives are 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 much more attracted to men who 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 care about equality.
0: It's a it's like yeah, right, what a concept. <laughs> not necessarily like we're not kind of into the big masculine provider like dominant, bossy, right, all of those tropes, right? We're not yeah, right. I'm not
1: into that, right? Yeah, and it kind of doesn't matter, you know, how many bad blog articles are written that 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 that's somehow a natural evolutionary thing. That, that it's just not true. There's the studies have all been debunked.
0: That's amazing. Well, okay, so all right, so uh, we're going to get to that because I want to <laughs> talk about those 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 studies. But first of all, what is a feminist dad? What is that? What's a feminist dad? What's a feminist man? I think that's also really confusing for people.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think it's you're right. It's definitely confusing. I guess there's two arguments for for why it might not be possible. Right? So 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 the one argument is is that how can you be a you know a feminist equals a man hater? So how could a man be a feminist unless they're self loathing? And that's just an absurd argument. I mean, I know a lot of feminists, a lot of super famous feminist theorists. I haven't met one yet that's like let's cancel men, right? So we maybe they I
0: I say this all the time. And if I haven't said it recently in my podcast, like I love men. Feminism actually is in service of men as much as women.
1: Absolutely. absolutely. And that's a real main argument of the book. The other argument for why it might not make sense is the one that I got from my 13-year-old son who was like, Dad, aren't you kind of appropriating feminism by being a man and writing this book? And I was like... Well, I mean, I guess there's some validity to that argument, but the fact that a 13-year-old boy just asked me that question tells me I'm doing something absolutely right. Yeah. <laughs> so.
0: Right. And also, like, I'm going to answer that no. <laughs> no. Feminists are not just m- women, and in fact, we need feminist men in order for this to make any headway, right? Like it can't just be a women's movement. It's a, it's a, it's a human movement.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, and that's really the, the, the bottom line in, in, in father figures. It's about how men need to interrogate their own behaviors, their own thought patterns, their own habits of mind and really recognize the places where, where they're perpetuating or reinforcing sexist Ideas and sexist patterns, and in my experience, most men, most dads, you know, they care about gender equality. They're they're they 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 want it. They they but they don't recognize that the places where their own behaviors are sort of betraying their 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 intentions, right? Like you rarely meet men who are like, ah, I think all women are are unequal and should be uh, and should be kept down, right? Like nobody's saying saying that. that, Yeah, they do they do things that that make that. That, that inadvertently and unintentionally yes. reinforce that that idea, and so this book is about teaching men how to how to look at themselves. and And one of the reasons I'm emphasizing that is because I, what I want everyone to know is that father figure is not a book about men being supervillains. It's not like, hey, man, you're men, you're so terrible, you're evil people. This is a book that goes, you're good people who are who have some bad bad behaviors, and you really need to take a hard look at yourself so you fit better into the current world.
0: and so what are some of those bad behaviors right there and, they're, and I think that' that's actually an important word right because you know we talk about this in parenting all the time that like I'm not I'm not attacking you or I'm not denigrating you I am saying that the behavior right you're a good person I love you and you and the behavior is bad right we talk about the behavior not the person.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so a lot of the, a lot of the things that we um, have been, Socialized or acculturated to uh, to expect from fathers, in particular, right? In Mm -hmm. terms of what we imagine to be a good dad, what we think of as fatherhood identity, are things that maintain an inequitable gender paradigm, right? So let's put it this way: like you know, just things like bad bad gender roles, just certain assumptions that we make without thinking about it, right? Like so, like we unconsciously just sort of think. Oh, women are going to do the laundry, or women are going to cook dinner, right? And even if we think, even if we think both of us, both the, a man and a woman should have a job, even if we think we share, uh, we share responsibilities equally. There's so many places where we don't share responsibilities equally because so many of the domestic expectations people take for granted as being the things that women should do, right? And they, most yeah. people wouldn't say it, right? Like I'm not going to. If I talk to most men, and I'm like, do you think women should? do all the cooking they'll go no but my wife's better at it (laughs) right and then and then the wife becomes responsible for everything right and for all of these things
0: right and there are studies that are that prove that even the men who think that they're doing half of 50 percent of the work are actually not (laughs) yeah 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 right so it's even even in like men who would be like i'm totally a feminist i totally do equal labor in the house i if you ask their wives they're like uh, <laughs> not so much <laughs> right yeah,
1: yeah exactly so so men are uh, i wish i could remember the exact number here but they're absolutely way more involved in child care than 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 any of the last few generations have have been right that's undoubt- yeah. undoubtable but when you look at what that, how that manifests, when you look at how that plays out in the actual household, uh, what happens is, I mean, to, I'll, I'll, without being. Well, let's just put it this way, right? So, what happens is women end up doing a lot of what a lot of people call sort of the emotional labor or the logistics, mm-hmm. right? Like they plan mm-hmm. the, pa- the 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 pediatrician visits and the play dates and the birthday parties, and they make sure the right clothes are there for field trips and soccer practice, and they make sure all the supplies are together for school, and they make sure the kids brush their teeth, and they make sure the kids uh the kids get to bed on time, and then and then at the same time, um, what you have men doing is a lot of things that are that are the playful things, the bonding, the the you know the ball in the yard, a lot of the fun stuff, but not the real responsibility, accountability stuff. Um, and and so what happens is a lot what, for a lot of. Uh, progressive men who might identify as feminists, they're super involved in their kids' lives and they're taking them to the playground, but they don't realize how many things in the everyday life, um, are, 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 are still, uh, being, being carried, um, are, are the burden of, of the mom. And, and this is a, this is true. Both with married parents and and, and divorced or separated co parents, right? That, that often uh, what happens is the divorced separated dad, yeah, does a lot of great job taking the kid to uh, to to fun things all weekend or while well, they have custody and making sure they're eating fun things and maybe maybe like going on great trips and things like that. But then it's still the the, the divorced mom who's responsible for the pediatrician and the dentist and the and the school forms and the you know. You know, and, the, and and all of those things. Yeah. So
0: much, so much. I had a friend who, I have good friends who, he is a feminist, like a self-proclaimed feminist, right? And she and I were having a conversation uh, recently, it, uh, it was a couple of years ago. And I was like, but I feel like, you know, Michael, like really, like he, he like, it feels like a really equal balance, right? In your house. And she was like, look. I have a husband who will be like, oh, look, we're almost out of coffee and he'll make sure that we have coffee in the house or he'll help, you know, he'll know that he'll track the groceries and things like that. She's like, but I'm the one who is always thinking three steps ahead, who knows that you know one of our children has a science pro- or a project due on Friday, and so, what are we going to need for that? Oh shit, we are going to need poster board and we're going to need this and we're going to need that. And so I know that I have to have that by Tuesday if he's going to have this project in by Friday. And she's like, that's the stuff yeah. that I am exhausted by, and that he just completely doesn't track.
1: Yeah, right. And-
0: right? And that's the stuff that exhausts women.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's that's absolutely true. And um, you know, my ex-wife actually handles this. I mean, I'm guilty of this, my, some of this myself, but I think yeah. my ex-wife handles this really well. Where she'll just go, "Okay, I'm tracking it. They need dentist appointments. It's your job to make them."
0: Right. Yes. Exactly. Exactly. I will do that too with my ex. He's great at this stuff. And there, are, we've had conversations where I'm like, "Hey, like," but you know, sometimes I feel like there's an assumption that I will show up to the meeting. There's a the school meeting, right? There's an assumption and he'll make it if he can.
1: <laughs> yeah, and everybody's <laughs> right? so grateful if he does as if he's a, as if he's the world's best parent for doing like the bare minimum. <laughs>
0: right, exactly. And I'm like, and then you know, he said to me recently, I was like, you know, one of the things that I really appreciated about him in our marriage too is that like I never felt there was an imbalance in household stuff. Like whoever cooked the other one was always doing the dishes while the other was giving a bath. Like there was just, there was, we were there, we were in flow um, when it came to household stuff. But recently I said something about how I am the one who manages all of the scheduling and communicating with the schools and stuff like that. And he was like, yeah, but you're just better at it. (laughs) And I'm
1: like, yeah,
0: (laughs) I gotta tell you, I gotta say, that I actually am. And sometimes when he does write an email to the school, I'm like, Oh, God, no, that wasn't the point. <laughs> right?" And so it's true, I am better at it. But I do say like, I am better at it. But also, like, you can do it and not be as good and it would still be okay.
1: Well, and I, I think there's also a point here, which is a lot of times when we think someone's better at it, it's because we, we've we bought into the lies of gender essentialism about whose job it is. And you might be better at it, but it's probably because you have a lot more practice, right? Right, <laughs> right exactly. Right? So I'm i mean, experienced at it, <laughs> <laughs>
0: right? Yeah,
1: right, you're better right.
0: at like checking the oil in the car, but that's because I don't do it. <laughs>
1: and, and, you know, and you really think about the stereotypes, it gets really absurd because, you know, men can write emails all day long long when it's doing business, but somehow they can't write it to the teacher.
0: (laughs) Right, right. Huh. Interesting. Interesting. So, okay. So, so these are some of the behaviors that we're talking about, right? That like even the most progressive men still are, quote, victims, I guess, right? Of this system, right? The patriarchal system that we all live in.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm resistant to the idea of painting dads as victims and, 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 okay. <laughs> um, because it is a patriarchal society. I mean, I think there are certainly yeah, re- sure. reasonable concerns. A lot of this book is about the, the, the struggle that men are currently going through as we live in a world where gender is being renegotiated and they don't know how to imagine themselves without the privileges of patriarchy and that that's a real existential problem that that we have to have some empathy for how difficult that must be but that's not the same as being a victim right right okay. it's sort of sure. it's, it's okay. sort of yeah. like, no, like right. you don't get to be yeah. a victim for losing for losing privilege <laughs> but we can right. also acknowledge losing privilege is hard <laughs>
0: losing privilege is difficult right okay so Oh, gosh. I mean, it's like, I was going to go one place, but you sort of brought up this whole, the, the fact that gender norms are changing, right? Yeah. And that this is, this and this existential transformation that's happening, right? So what, what, are, men, what are men supposed to do right now? What, yeah. what literally what are they supposed to do, besides read your book?
1: Yeah, <laughs> well, they should definitely read my book. Yeah, number one. Um, um, I mean, uh, yes, the g- the gender norms are changing, and one of the big problems I think we have as a, as a society is we don't have real aspirational models for what it looks like to be a father in a world that's not patriarchal, right? So mm-hmm. what happens is is men are, are, are and dads are standing there where. They- they're like, I don't even know what to do. And so you fall back on what, what did my father do? You fall back on, you know, what was it like to be parented? What did I need from my dad? How did those things happen? What was the good? What was the bad? But, but what we really desperately need at a time when we're in this existential crisis as men is the model of what to do. So what I tried to write in Father Figure was to provide that. I mean, I, I say that, but I don't want anyone to imagine that I, that this is a book that says, here's how you should behave because it's much more a book about Saying here's how you should reflect and interrogate your own behaviors and habits of mind, so that you can make your own decisions about how to behave differently in the world. This is not—it's not prescriptive in the sense that, hey, I'm Jordan and I'm going to tell you how to be a good dad. It's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's prescriptive in the sense that I'm Jordan and I'm telling you how to ask the questions you need to ask, so you can arrive at your own uh, sense of what it means to be a good dad for yourself.
0: This isn't a parenting book. This isn't a, right? It is, and it isn't. It's not a, like you said, it's not a how to. It's not how to parent. It's how to look at yourself so that you can be the parent that you probably actually want to be, right? Like, like we all want to connect with our kids. We all want to raise like really good humans. But when our models for that are stuck in this, in this, the patriarchal structures that, that we've all been mired in for, generations. We don't really know how to do that.
1: Yeah, that that's that's right. And so, uh, you know, um, in some ways, it is a parenting book. It's not a traditional parenting book because it's not, re- I mean, you know, while there is a lot about how to relate to your kids, uh, um, it's much more about how to think about yourself while you relate to your kids, right? Like, it's not a book about how to talk to your daughter so that she has higher self-esteem, although that's a very important thing. Uh, but, it, but I don't, you know, I don't have a thousand phrases of what you should and shouldn't say to your daughter or to your son or to your gender non-conforming child or to your trans child, right? Like, I don't have any of that in there. And there's no, like, how to how do you talk to your son about his porn watching habit, right? Like, that's not part of, that's not in this book. Um, uh, but but what is in this book is, is how do you recognize the ways you've come to think about yourself that are actually in the way of providing the people you love with with the freedom and dignity they need?
0: Mm. I love that. Okay, so wh- what is, what what do you think is currently, right? or historically and or historically men's experience of the patriarchy. Like yeah. how how do they ex- how do men experience this?
1: I mean, that's a, that, this is sort of a, a, a great, a, that's a great question because I think we re, we get so much right now, feminism, pop feminism, intersectional theory, right? And, um, anti-racist. This is all over the news right now for, and that's a great thing. Um, but I think what a lot of people don't consider and many people do. So, but, but it's not part of the popular rhetoric is, the fact that the experience of white male privilege is not the inverse of the experience of all the people who are subjugated in a in a white supremacist patriarchal world right so we sort of imagine that if women's experience of patriarchy is subjugation and and depression and exploitation we imagine that men are like uh, are like always feeling dominant and making those choices but the truth is most men do not feel dominant most men feel dominated because the way the patriarchy is is organized is that there's really supposed to be one alpha male at the top, right? And so in almost every interaction that men have at work, or even in social situations, there's some ridiculous, stupid fight for like king of the hill dominance, Going on, and most of us are losing all the time. And so, I think that's why you get a lot of men who, like, when they hear sexist or privilege, they're like, What do you mean privilege? I'm struggling all the time, right? Right. Um, right? Oh,
0: so, and- God, that's so glad you identified <laughs> that. That's so brilliant, Jordan, because as you are, because that's right, because that is what you hear all the time. They don't get it, they don't get it,
1: <laughs> right? <laughs> Yeah. Right. And I think that's important to acknowledge because then we can stop and go. You know, and there is some acknowledgement about that, right? Like that's what all the stuff about toxic masculinity is about, how hard it is to be in a man that's constant uh, in, in, in the man man cage or man world or man box, as some people have called it, where it's just constantly, you know, man up, perform better, keep showing your dominance and the, and don't express your feelings. All, you know, and that's all a reasonable thing. I mean, I have my own problems with, with the term toxic masculinity. Oh, but... my
0: God, please, can we rebrand it? <laughs> I, I've, I've been on a, I'm on a crusade to rebrand. It because yes because people don't understand it because it's the wrong term.
1: I, I call I call it well. Well, my, my criticism is is at it at its core that 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 our real problem is, is male privilege and 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 entitlement and patriarchy and I feel like a lot of what we get about toxic masculinity is what I call in the book hold my balls while I cry about toxic masculinity which is like another privilege like, like why can't I go to therapy and cry too as if anyone stops men from going to therapy right? Right. <laughs> right 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 you don't need another opportunity but it is true that there's a patriarchal structure teaching men to not be in touch with certain feelings and to not express the way that patriarchy makes them feel subject subjugated because they're never supposed to identify being subjugated cuz you have to pretend you're dominant all the time. And in that way patriarchy really does hurt men. And I think what you get then in a lot of bad the bad dad story um or and even what I call the good bad dad which is like the example the good bad dad is like what we get in so many sitcoms or TV shows like during the pandemic I rewatched all of um oh I already forgot the name of the show uh uh <laughs> <laughs>
0: Watch
1: it again uh, the, uh, the OC the OC oh uh, the, of, uh, never saw that the, I never watched it. <laughs> but there's like the good there's Sandy Cohen he's the dad in the show and he's ethically perfect and he's like this progressive ethically perfect but he's lying to everyone and trying to just like controlling everything for good ethical reasons, out of compassion, but that's, I call that the bad, the bad, good, good dad. And we, we're all told we have to be the bad, good dad. And I think what happens is men come home and, because they can't mansplain at work, and they can't manspread at work, they do it. <laughs> they do it at home, right? They do it to the only people that they do have some level of dominance of, because they're they're feeling often very beaten down by by a, a really problematic cultural pattern, and and uh. and mistakenly take it out and unconsciously take it out um, on on the people they love,
0: right? Ugh, and that sounds. I say that sounds really confusing. Like I'm, I'm, I'm noticing myself right now in this conversation, having a lot of empathy, right? As (laughs) I when I talk about toxic masculinity and like what it really means, and right, like I do have a lot of empathy, right? That must be really hard and confusing.
1: Yeah, then that's where that's why I decided to write this book because I, I you know, I the, the 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 partisan politics in the in the US and the amount of misogyny that we were seeing on TV and I just went I just you know, I was like this is really confusing. There's no one explaining to men how to make sense of this. Most of what men are getting is you're bad, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad, you're bad and no, here's how to be better, here's how to be better, here's how to be better. Other than don't manspread, don't mansplain, which is like, a, by all means, right. m- men should stop manspreading and mansplaining. But it's a very, um, very sort of surface sort of symptom, not cause. <laughs> right. Right,
0: right, <laughs> right. right. absolutely. You, you said something about like, you know, men not going to therapy, right? Or like not feeling like the toxic masculinity sort of prescribes that men can't go to therapy because they can't feel their feelings and, or that they do go to therapy if they do have their feelings, right? They're a pussy, they're, you know, whatever else. And in my experience, right, I I have a lot of men who will contact me and ask me like, hey, do you coach men? And I'll say, you know what? I normally don't, but if you want to talk about it, great. Here's Here's a link. Never hear from them again. I had a bunch of men who asked me to create a program for them. Multiple men asked me to create a program for them. I, I did. I sent it off to them and I was like, here, here's the deal. Let's beta test this together. It was like $200. One per, one man, one man showed up for the program. (laughs) And so like, what is this crisis? Like, and what, and then, then men will say to me, like, well, who's, who's teaching and who's, you know, who, who are the men in this sphere, right? What is the crisis? <laughs> what's <laughs> the problem here that men are, they're like asking for it and then they don't show up for it. they I mean, I think that, I think it is, you know, what part of what we're talking about. Right. But then there's also like, what's happening in, um, I think you call, you know, transformative men's work, right. You've got, then you've got like Tony Robbins, right. Yeah. So like, what's the disconnect? What's happening here? Why are more men not taking advantage of and consuming more transformational work?
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and, and of course there's a lot of men, as you said, buying things by like Tony Robbins and this sort of business personal development um, way, way of thinking about, uh, about that. Um, a lot of that is, 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 is problematic, um, you know a lot. Of, a lot of the, I mean, obviously Tony Robbins is is, is problematic, but but uh, as we all learned uh, uh, in in the last year. <laughs> well, we but, did. I don't know if we all
0: did because I still see people like being like, I mean, Tony Robbins is amazing, and I'm like, um. <laughs> <laughs> He's problematic as fuck.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and and part of the reason is because at the core of what a lot of the the traditional personal development rhetoric in the US, it is still a lot of sort of patriarchal puritanical values, right? This sort of work ethic, self-actualization, autonomy. You know, I'm not saying any of those things are bad, but but they need to be they need to be tempered with with um, at least the way that I'm framing it with feminism with 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 a with a with a critical consciousness with a sense of responsiveness you know it's not all about finding your you know I'm gonna say this in a really cynical way right it's not all about finding your inner self and letting it bloom as much as possible despite everyone right right, <laughs> right. right. And, and get rid of the toxic people who get in the way of you doing you I mean what would I talk about this in the in father figure is is I call it I call it narcissistic patriarchal authority, which I know sounds like a lot of words, but I'll explain what it what it what it means. Um, one start with the uh, the the term authority, which comes from the same root as author, and it literally means to write. You know, to write or authorize or tell the story. And it's this idea that authority is the ability to tell the story, to, to, to define the story. And so, you know, if you think about this at a large company or in any community you're at, often the person at the top sets the whole tone for the whole company. They also author the whole direction of the whole story, uh, for the whole company. And in families, uh, this is often the father, right? The father often is sort of king of the house and the whole, and everybody else is a supplemental character character in the dad's story, right? My kids, my wife, right? But 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 at the center of it is this patriarchal authority. And I add the word narcissistic there, because of course the story, you know, we often use the word narcissistic to just mean self-centered, but the, the, the true definition of it is, it comes from the ancient Greek myth of Narcissus, who's the boy who goes to the water and can only, and, and falls so in love with his own reflection that uh, that it's all he can ever see, he just wants to look at it, he stops eating because he just wants to look at himself. And so, so what I Say is that many dads are going through the world with this idea that I'm the hero of the story. And even when I see my children, I see my children as elements of my story. I just see my own story in my children. When I see my wife, I just see my own story, and she's a supplemental character in it. And, and one of the things I encourage men to do with this is the shift from patriarchal, from narcissistic. Narcissistic patriarchal authority. See, it's so many words I can barely (laughs) say, right? Uh, From narcissistic patriarchal authority to what I call responsive fathering, which, by the way, should be responsive parenting, but it's a book for fathers. There's no reason it needs to be gendered uh, in Mm. this case. Responsive, which means acknowledging that even though you're obviously the hero of your own story— Everyone else is also the hero of their story, too, which means you might be the villain in their story, and you might be the mentor in their story, and you might be the ogre beneath the bridge in their story. And you have to acknowledge that you can be all those things at once. And I think that narcissistic patriarchal authority, this idea that we're must be the protagonist of our story is a reason why so many men are resistant to feminism because they hear on TV that you're a villain and they're like, how can I be a villain if I'm the hero? But you can be both the hero in your own story and be trying to rescue the world and also be the villain in someone else's story. You know, if there's one thing we should learn from from all um, adventure movies is that the bad guy always thinks they're doing good.
0: right. Yes. The good ones, <laughs> the good movies. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> the,
1: the, yeah. Even yeah. in the like stupid superhero movies, they're like, I need to get rid of this terrible world by fixing it to be better for, for everyone. Right.
0: Right. Right. <laughs> right.
1: Right. right. right, right, right. Yes. Well, they see themselves as the hero, not the villain.
0: Yes. And that's what, I mean, that's a great acting as, you know, I come to this as, from all things as from first as an actor and No, that's not true. But these sorts of things, movies and stuff, right? And you look at like some of the best portrayals of evil people and villains in movies, and they're the ones where the actor finds, really finds the true impetus and like what, you know, what is their real motivation, which is usually not, again, maybe not evil or, but they think they believe it so much, right? Those are the scariest performances. Those are the, the, the most terrifying. And, and, you
1: know, just to give a, a, a real practical example here for, for, for both moms and dads or, or, um, or anyone who identifies as neither nor, right, but, but is responsible for caregiving for children, mm-hmm. an, an example I think of all the time, even when, when I'm working, especially during COVID times, if my kids come downstairs while I'm in the middle of writing something that I think's brilliant, and they come down, they're like, Dad, can I have a snack? And I'm like, why are you interrupting me? But they don't you know that they're interrupting me. They're going through their story and yeah. there, and 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 like we start, we see the people in our family so often as interruptions to our story. When we need to acknowledge that they're also going through a, a story in which they are the main character, and there's no reason they shouldn't interrupt someone. They're
0: they're hungry, <laughs> and they're coming to you for nourishment and sustenance. <laughs> right, right. right. It,
1: it, exactly. And that's the perfect example of where where every day narcissistic patriarchal authority that's not we don't mean it in a bad way, but we still imagine this is my story and I shouldn't be interrupted until I'm done this scene.
0: <laughs> no, I mean now is that is that somehow because that feels like something that like everybody has, right? We're all we're all the heroes yeah. of our own stories, right? So how is that different um for men today? Well I think patriarchy.
1: Well I think that for most uh, most people in our culture, right? So much of the messaging has actually told dads that they're entitled to that. Uh, to that protagonist role in the, in the home, and, and, and that everybody else is an interruption to their protagonist role or a supplemental character, a support system, right? A lot of men expect, expect their wives to be the support system for their protagonist role, where, where, where women are actually taught that actually you can, sure, you can have your own story, but only after you've played the support system for the father, (laughs) right? And, and so, and so we're all trying to, while we, recognize that that's sort of an absurd idea uh, where we've been so conditioned to take it for granted that we're we struggle I mean you see I mean, again this is a place where I would go you know men while they're certainly culpable culpable for that those those bad behaviors they're not always the ones pushing it the hardest right sometimes it, sometimes it's mom uh, helping dad continue to, part, to, to 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 perpetuate patriarchal patterns because she thinks it's her job, right? And we're all sort of caught in this. And if you think about what, what message that starts to send to daughters, another example, uh, you know, we were just talking about how men do a lot more of the playing with kids mm-hmm. and, and women do the logistics. Well, that starts to send the message to kids that the same message like, like women should bring the beer while I watch the football game, right? The idea is that women should manage all the logistics of the home, which is basically a nest of leisure for the men.
0: Right. Yes, absolutely. The, all of these behaviors and the habits, right? Like, we, these are all, these are all so ingrained, right? And you talk about this, the psychology of fatherhood from like an, being like from an archetypal perspective. So, can you talk about those archetypes? Have we already touched on those, or <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> a, a, a little bit? Mean? But it, but it, it, archetypes, the the archetypes of the collective unconscious is a theory by Carl Gustav Jung, the great Swiss psychoanalyst. And my PhD is in Jungian psychology, but I started to have a lot of problems with Jungian psychology because Jungian psychology is just steeped in problematic examples of gender essentialism, right? The idea that there are certain masculine behaviors and certain feminine behaviors. And these just, you know, there's so much science proving that this is not so there's no such thing as a female brain and a male brain. There's no such thing as like women are not better ma- multitaskers, right? No matter how many times you've seen a Ted talk that tells you otherwise, right? Uh, men really? are not are you sure. <laughs> I am absolute. I am absolutely sure. Uh, I mean, I'll explain it to you. Uh, yeah. So, 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 there are certain traits. For uh, you know, if we're just use the neuroscience here, we could do this right. in a lot of other ways. But it, there yeah. are certain traits that are more. You know, if you do a giant statistical sample, more women are going to have. Some traits are more likely to have, say, trait A, right? So let's say multitasking is one of them. I don't know if it is. Women might be more likely to have it, right? But that doesn't mean men aren't. That has not, you know, plenty of men are having it and too. And the most common is people. Uh, people who have both those that are common and, and in, in women and those that are common in men, right? It's sort of a mosaic of traits and there's nothing about our biology that puts all those traits together. So yes, you might be better at multitasking than, than most of the men in your life and but if we take the like 15 things that we tend to think of as things that are women women traits, right? right. It's yeah. really unlikely that a woman's going to have all of them, right? <laughs> right? Right, sure. right, right. Yeah. And it is very likely that a man man is going to have some of them also. So there's sort right. of a, it's sort of not. So there's no such thing as a woman's brain. Although there are some things that might be statistically more likely.
0: And also, right again, if we are doing these habits, like if we are multitasking more often, our brains, the neural pathways for multitasking, if that's a thing, are more, more active, they're stronger, right? So if we are, quote, better at, at X, Y, or Z, is it because we're doing them more often? And so the neural pathways of our brains are more strongly wired in those things.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So that's a, so so there there that's where the cultural expectations end up shaping things that feel normal to us and then we mistake them as biological inevitabilities, right? That's the gender essentialism there. Um uh, one way that the neuroscientist Daphne Joel explained this really well, which is if you walk down the street and you see a person in pink and wearing a skirt, it's a reasonable assumption that that's a woman, right? But Just because someone's a woman, you can't assume that they're going to wear a skirt and wear pink, right? (laughs) Right. Mm -hmm. Doesn't work the other way, right? So certainly we, we can, right? There's no reason to think that a woman will be certain ways, although those who have, who, who live in our culture as women do tend to have certain statistical, uh, um, uh, I don't know what the right word is, normalities, I guess, (laughs) tendencies. um, But again, it's not biological. So that's where I say gender essentialism is this idea that these things are rooted in our genitals, right? Which is one absurd because there's no real um, genital binary that's as clearly as comprehensive as we like to believe, right? So we like to believe that it's really clear there's men and women when 3% of the human population is intersex, meaning you can't tell the... you, you you know there maybe they have a chromosomal difference maybe they have uh, maybe they actually have genitals that don't don't match e- either of what we continue consider to to be to be part of the normal binary. Um, um, and just to give that idea, a lot of people are going to hear three percent and go, that's not much. But three percent is how many people have green eyes, and also how many people have r- red hair, and a whole lot more than how many people are going to buy a Budweiser after they watch a Super Bowl commercial, right? So so that's a huge group, right? We don't think that people with green eyes are aberrations or weirdos, right? We think right. they're normal. Right. So so the fact is, the idea to think that the om- there's two normals and everything else, you know, a binary normal and everything else in the middle, that binary is just not is is just not comprehensive. I mean, it's useful sometimes for us to divide the world in in into categories that make sense to our feeble human minds, right? Like like male female, but but there's also a lot of places where those kinds of binary categorizations are really do more to reinforce uh, problematic power dynamics than they do to, to reveal better things about our lives.
0: Mm, mm. Yeah. You ju- <laughs> I could just listen to you talk about this all day, Jordan. It's
1: just like, <laughs> oh,
0: Yes. So, okay, so let's go back to these archetypes, right? So Yeah, oh, so
1: sorry. Jungian, no, no, totally
0: fine. We, 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 we got off on a really interesting tangent. I forgot
1: we were on archetypes. We were talking about archetypes, <laughs> but
0: you were you were prefacing it with, you were about, yeah, so, so, about Jungian psychology.
1: <laughs> yeah, because, because what happens in Jungian psychology, and, and I won't even do it in Jungian psychology, I'm going to move it to sort of the pop psychology because much more people are familiar with this, is we start to get these ideas like goddess culture, right? Like the dark feminine like, right, you know, like what's inherently masculine, like there's masculine. And and sometimes that feels good, because we're sort of saying, hey, we both have masculine and feminine energies, and we have to figure out how to balance them. And we have to figure out how to embrace our masculine side and our feminine side. But again, this is a perfect example where those things don't actually correlate with gender or sex. So when we start to name those those attributes or those characteristics as being masculine or feminine, we're reinforcing stereotypes about actual men and women. They're not just metaphors anymore, right? And so then we start to believe it. So I had this problem when I was studying Jung, which is, you know, I'm all for the idea that we should think about how there's a nurturer in all of us. I'm not sure why we have to call that nurturer feminine, right? Doesn't it do more bad to call that nurturer feminine than to just say we all have to embrace our nurturing side, right? Um, And then we, we don't reinforce force the idea that women are inherently better at nurturing, which is just not true. Right.
0: right. Oh my God. So good. So good. Some, so some good.
1: individuals are absolutely better at nurturing than others, but it has nothing to do with their genitals again. <laughs>
0: right. And again, also like who's be, who's being given that job, right? I mean, right. if we take it from like also like a family systems theory perspective, you know, there's going to have to be a nurturer. If there's a nurturer in the system, there's going to be have to have to be a nurturer that doesn't necessarily have to be the woman. It could be the man, right? It, it's just, Right. But it's, but it's more often the woman. And so we, perhaps we are better. Suited, maybe we're better at it just because we have more practice, like we said, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. And actually, you know, I think there's a really, well, another really terrible thing about that assumption is that, uh, and I'm sure you've talked to, to probably on your podcast, talked to many women like this who have gotten so much cultural messaging about how the woman's supposed to be better at nurturing, that if they don't feel like they're good at it, they feel like something's wrong with them. They have right. constant inferiority complex because they've been told that it's not natural, Right. Right. So they're like, Oh my God, I'm sick. I'm broken. I'm right. Which is just not true. Right. There's no reason that you should be in There's nothing about you or anyone that says they should be inherently nurturing. Right. Uh Yes,
0: (laughs) I have a good friend who has a, she has a chronically ill husband and this is a huge thing for her. She's like, I'm not cut out to be a caretaker like this. (laughs) This is not what I signed up for. And it's literally not in my DNA. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. And what happened is a cultural pressure not only says that you should be good at it, but says you should love it should and enjoy it. it. And, you know, getting back to the domestic labor problem, you shouldn't even get paid or we shouldn't consider it a value because it's just what you inherently want to do, right? Right, right, right. right. Which is just a huge lie, right? Like, like you know, that no, nobody inherently wants to do uh, wage-free labor, right? Right, right. <laughs> just because they love their kids so much right yeah i want to take care of my kids more than anything in the world i hate the work
0: <laughs> right right let's talk about teenagers for 5 minutes
1: oh i could talk about teenagers for <laughs> i i i have my own and it, you know one of the really hard things i have a lot of i have i have 3 teenage boys and i'm i'm watching as the sort of um locker locker room uh, uh, talk turns into a lot of, of patriarchal rhetoric and I have to just constantly dismantle it and I have to just constantly go nope that's not true and and I write about this in Father Figure that there's so many things that I learned in the locker room right, as a middle schooler about what was essentially true about boys and girls right like how girls like sex and what boys want for, and like some of it like got so deeply ingrained that it took until I was writing this Book for me to go, why have I believed that my whole life? Because wow. some kid in a towel told me that his brother told him?
0: <laughs> right, because
1: some 13 year old told me so? Like, <laughs>
0: right. Because your dad wasn't talking about it, by the way, right? So, like, <laughs> so you did get your information from like the 13 year old, right? Right, like, right. Like,
1: and you thought the 13 year old who was getting laid must know something because you wanted to get <laughs> laid, right? <laughs>
0: So sad. This is why we have a generation of people who are really bad at sex, by the way. (laughs) Right? So, okay, so... I feel like we were talking about archetypes, and then we we went we went away from them again. Did we cover them? Do you think?
1: No. Yeah, we covered them. I mean, I, I'm really resistant. I think a lot of what we get in in especially men's transformative work, what yeah. little exists, is is a lot of even more you know our uh, so called archetypes that tend to reinforce our patriarchal cultural expectations, right? Like like the king, the sage, the right. witch doctor, the judge, right? right? Like right like like why don't we have the, like, male nursemaid, (laughs) right? Right. Why don't we? Exactly. Yes. Which which is actually not, you know, if you look historically, there are plenty of examples. A lot of the ways we think about the gender role binary, the gender expectations, a lot of that's really recent, right? Let me explain that because a lot of people are going to go, that's not true, (laughs) right? Um, So while certainly it sucked to be a woman for almost all of history, it also sucked to be a man if you weren't in charge for most of history right. and they did not divide they did not think of that in terms of gender they thought of that in terms of socioeconomic class which made you a full human and anyone who wasn't in that socioeconomic class was not a full human so in many cases like uh, like the mo- the the woman of a of a house in the ancient world was way more powerful than most of the men who worked in the house because there was there was sort of matriarch of the household patriarch of the household and everyone else was a slave. And
0: then there was a slave. Right, exactly. Right. <laughs> right. Right. Right.
1: Yes. right. So while I'm not trying to pretend oh it was easy, um uh, for, for like I'm not trying to go oh it used to be equal. I am pointing out that our current way of being unequal according to gender categories is a relatively recent um um human human creation um Mm -hmm. uh, uh, right it would have seemed absurd to a lot of people in history to be like you know like in in the middle ages they didn't think women were stupider they didn't think they were less capable they might be less capable because they weren't born into a good family but they weren't less capable because they were women
0: (laughs) right interesting that's so interesting huh yeah when did you when do you think that shifted
1: Um, I mean, the big shift to what we have now is, is industrial era, right? The industrial era is, is when we get the, the current model and that what happens is, um, because, it, you know, think about it this way. Industrial era is really the first time anyone went to work, right? The idea of, like, woman barefoot uh-huh. and pregnant home while the, while the husband's off working is just absurd, right? For right. most of human history, everyone worked. The children, the mother, like, everybody was too poor, and food was so scarce, you all worked the field in order to eat, right? And everyone right. was expected to eat the work the field if they were pregnant, if they were, then as soon as Strava they could walk. Back <laughs> right? <Absolutely>. Right. <laughs> right, and it's only in the industrial era that we start to to create factories and office buildings and 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 commutes, um, mm-hmm. and that's when and that's when man, uh, when when what happens is, in order to make the sort of cold machinery of the industrial era not feel bad, we sort of called it masculine. And then we turned the home into this sort of feminine nurturing nest. And then we had to normalize that. So what we did was we said, these are innate qualities of women, these are innate qualities of men, right? And that was the only way that we could sort of cope with what was at the time a really disorienting way of reorganizing the family, right? Because we were so used to these sort of, you know, farms, or even if you lived in a city, it was like a butcher shop and you all lived upstairs and you came down and you all worked, right? you all
0: worked, (laughs) right, exactly. And then you have women who had these desires and these, you know, Marie Curie, whoever was, she was probably before, I don't know what she was. Um, But you have women who, you know, were scientists and had these sort of innate desires in, in different, you know, that would be, you know, quote male, and they couldn't do anything about it. Right.
1: Yeah. And and part of it was the absurdity that we started to call those things male. Um, (laughs) Right. Right. <laughs> right right so then we exactly. went how could they be interested in male things right right, right. but nobody exactly. would have thought it was a male thing historically right um um i mean certainly in some parts of history they would have but but not throughout all of you know this is it's sort of one of the ways we maintain the patriarchy is by telling narratives that go it must be normal because it's how it's always been but if you really study the historical record you discover yeah that's not how it's always been it's always been different different. and if you and for any listeners you have who doubt me on this all you got to do is think about your grandparents wouldn't your let's use your great-grandparents because many of us might have grandparents who are alive your great grandparents would look at our world now and it wouldn't make any sense to them the way we divide gender. So don't try to tell me it's the way it's always been when three when three generations ago it was different. You know, worse in some ways and better in some ways. Right. But it's never been the same. There's no one patriarchy. There's there's a constantly shifting, <laughs> changing pa- patriarchy and sometimes there wasn't even patriarchy.
0: So so okay. So we have to sort of, I, I want to talk to you for like ever, but so what, what do you feel like, is, what, what's on the horizon for us in this, in this realm? What do you see as the future of the patriarchy, um, like in our lifetime, I mean, like, <laughs> you know, um, in the future, like what, what's the trajectory that you see?
1: Well, I, I mean, it's always hard to predict the future. Of course, um, um, it, <laughs> <it>. <laughs> but but I think we're certainly on a trajectory towards a a, a post patriarchal world. We're nowhere near it, right? But we're definitely seem to be moving in that direction we're getting there um, i think you know a lot of what we've seen during the trump years was sort of this i don't want to know if it's last but but this sort of like you know if you're imagining it like ass, a boxing right? boxing match like like the boxer got up one more time and hit really hard with with misogyny right <laughs> right, like really right, right, right right like let me throw my last few punches and there may yeah. be another time that 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 happens but we're certainly moving that direction and the tr- Truth is, you know, I find, at least as I've as I've been writing this book, as I've been talking to people, that I actually don't think gender equality is a partisan issue, right? I think, you know, no matter who you talk to, they believe in dignity and freedom for people. There's a lot of real partisan politics, and there's a lot of places where misogyny gets mixed up in some sides of, of the partisan issue, but there's misogyny and patriarchy on all sides, and I think everybody, um, if we could separate it from these political identities— would be all for it, right? I mean, there are certainly some cl- things where I would argue, you know, I, I'm a big pro-choicer, and uh, and that's become a political issue, which to me is really a women's rights issue, yeah. um, right? And I think if you could really separate that out of that you'd find that I mean we also have so many statistics showing I mean if you deal with same-sex marriage for example right like or even trans rights which is a big thing right right now when they survey the whole country they find out that the huge like super majority of of Americans are like people should be free to live in dignity don't regulate their lives right right don't government shouldn't and get involved yet. and <laughs> yet we have like half the poli- the political system fighting for uh, on the wrong side of it and that's and it just doesn't match most people. Um, so so again, you know, I don't want anyone to think you know this is not a like left right issue. this to, to to me, I think most men want to respect the women in their lives and women in general and are and just don't really know how to do it. And one of the reasons they don't know how to do it is because so much of the rhetoric has been really. What's the right word? I don't want to say aggressive because, again, that's like victimization, um, but has been really strong, right? Like, there's been a lot of terrible things that have gone on for a few generations. And I think there was a big, you know, there's been a lot of screaming about, hey, this needs to stop. And it's time for men to go, all right, I'm going to just stop feeling attacked and take responsibility, but also recognize that taking responsibility doesn't alone absolve me of culpability.
0: Yeah. It doesn't mean you lose. (laughs) (laughs) Right? Because we have this sort of binary again, like win-lose, win-lose. If I'm not winning, I'm losing.
1: You're right. losing anyway, right? Like right. that's what cracks me up, right? Like, right. like we're all, we're all, we're all like, uh, you know, we're all in debt. We, we, <laughs> right? we might think we own our houses, but really the banks own our houses, right? Right? right. 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 Yeah. We're, we're, we're all struggling, right? Like even Donald Trump's in like enormous debt, right? And if you can get to the, like the top of the social heat, you're still, a, you're still you're like, still you, you still don't own anything, right? Um, you right. still people laughing at you. There's still people who do, who think you're like, you're like. Pretend masculinity is just a, a, a mockery of yourself, right? So, so like, yeah, I mean, true. No one's trying, there is no battle between men and women to, for who's going to have the power. That's a fantasy, it doesn't exist. But even if there were, I don't know why you're so afraid of losing when you're already losing. So, <laughs> so
0: great. All right, Jordan, we're going to leave it there. I, I, again, we could go on and on and on, but, um, Thank you so much. Thank you so much for coming on. This is such an incredibly deep and rich conversation. So where can everyone find you? And where can everyone buy your book?
1: Yeah, so you can find everything you need about the book at feministdadbook.com. It's, uh, you know, uh, I highly encourage people to get it as a Father's Day gift for the men in their lives. In fact, if you go to feministdadbook.com, we have a ton of merch that goes along with it so that you can buy for It's so hard to figure out what to get people for Father's Day, I know, so I've done it for you. So one of my favorite things is we have these barbecue aprons that say Feminist Dad on them. Wait, it gets better. They're made from recycled beer Filters, right? So they're completely <laughs> upcycled. They're completely wow. upcycled uh, from like actual beer filters that were used to filter. Uh, a ma- I'm not allowed to say which 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 beer it is, but one of the major ones you see commercials for all the time. Um, <laughs> and Amazing. so so it's like beer. Barbecue, feminism, and climate change—all at once. You could do all of it, all of it at once. <laughs> That's
0: amazing. And and the front of the book has a trucker hat. Is that and available as well?
1: The trucker hat is not available <gasps> yet, but it may be. Right? I I uh, I don't know yet. I did think about making the trucker hats available, but I also like the idea that it's sort of like an unattainable icon on that co- on the cover uh, of the book. Okay, <laughs> so, okay, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but again, it's feministdadbook.com. We should say it like four times. Feministdadbook.com. Yeah. You can say it. You can say it.
0: Feministdadbook.com. And also- Easy to remember. It's in the show notes. <laughs> Everything's in the show notes. So, and it's available, and is the book available also on Amazon?
1: Oh, it's available. It's available every everywhere. It's, a, it's, a, it's from a major publisher, and it's going to be on Audible, and it's going to be on your Kindle, and your ebook reader, and bookshop.org, and Amazon, and probably your local book story it's gonna you know anywhere you buy books you'll be able to find this book
0: this is so great all right jordan thank you so much jordan shapiro author dad feminist
1: proud feminist
0: proud feminist thank you so much for coming on and talking about yeah your new thank
1: book. you for having me
0: thanks for tuning in to another episode of the divorce survival guide podcast